the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you. Sorry, there's, that, there's this teacher in me that just has to have that sort of interaction. You are in great voice this morning. Can I add my welcome to Sarah? If it's your first time here, you're really, really welcome. If it's your first time online, you're welcome too. Um, uh, you're also welcome if you've been here a while as well. Um, but it's just great you're with us. Um, please do stay at the end for tea and coffee. Is there, are there spaces at lunch as well? There is space, so you can even have lunch as well. So you're really welcome here. It's great that you're with us. Um, My name is Johnny Baker. I'm a member of the leadership team here. I'm also on the leadership of a local uh, secondary school, and it's my privilege to speak to you uh, this morning. Um, If it is your first time online, stick something in the chat. We want to connect with you uh, as well. Uh, But I'm going to start by scaring you. Sorry about this. Um, It's 41 days till Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It really is. Well, that's what Google told me. Um, As a result, next week, we are going to start our Advent series, Worship in the Waiting. Uh, But it's my responsibility to finish this series this morning. Uh, Over the past few weeks, we've looked at the ninth book of the New Testament, uh, Galatians. Uh, Paul wrote a number of letters to churches that he planted. And he wrote one to the churches in Galatia. And over the past few weeks, we've seen what he's been writing to them. Now, often Paul would write a really lovely letter to people. I've missed you and you're so great and I really want to see you again. Galatians is not quite like that. Uh, Galatians is a bit difficult at times because Paul is writing to them because two things have been going really, really badly wrong. Uh, Firstly, he was worried that they were losing the Galatians, a really, really important part of the Christian faith. He was worried that they were losing their grip on what we call the doctrine of justification by faith alone. What am I talking about there? Justification by faith alone. See, a group of teachers had come into these churches, they'd infiltrated them, and they were saying all sorts of stuff. They were going, to be right with God, to please God, you're going to need to eat certain things. Uh, You're going to need to do things certain ways. Men, you're going to have to, uh, yeah. Uh, and, And that's what they're saying. And Paul goes, no, that's not true. That is fundamentally not true. Being a Christian is not about following a set of rules and regulations. It's about following a person. It's about following Jesus. And Paul has been telling the Galatians what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to live as a local church. Really helpful stuff in here. But that, those teachers that had come in had set off something else as well. Uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll have seen this other problem um, because their unity was being damaged as well. They were meant to be this, the church is meant to be this wonderful uh, group who work together, but that wasn't happening. Uh, this terrible image, can you see uh, from chapter five there, uh, which says, well, sheep, sheep are meant to bar, aren't they? They eat grass, they bar, they wander around, they do other stuff, uh, and they're meant to follow a shepherd. They're not meant to devour one another like that, but that was happening. That was the imagery that was happening in Galatia as they were falling out. Now, the past two talks in this series uh, were from Paul and Saz, uh, and they looked at chapter five. And chapter five looks about around the principles around this question. So when you follow Jesus, we, we talk about you're free. Although many people think it's about rules and regulations, you're free. Now, given that you're free, what does the follower of Jesus, what does our living look like on a day-to-day basis? And Saz helped us a couple of weeks ago 
uh, about the fact that following Jesus is not about these rules and regulations. In fact, there's only one. Some of you probably remember what it was. The only rule was to live by the Spirit. And if you were here, uh, you've seen Jill come up here. Jill uh, Fagan came up. Jill Marsden, sorry. And uh, she was brilliant. She shared this wonderful testimony about how she was prompted as a follower of Jesus. She was about to go and do some sort of malicious gossiping about some of her colleagues. And she felt like the prompt of the Holy Spirit telling us to not do that. Uh, it was lovely to hear that. And I'm sure many followers of Jesus will have experienced that prompt in their lives. I had a great conversation with Jill last night. She's not here. She's in the Northwest. If you're online, Jill, put something in the chat. Um, and and Jill, um, uh, Jill, we chatted about it. And I just asked her, I said, is that like a daily occurrence for you? I said, do you, do you daily kind of feel the voice of God or a nudge from him? And she said, when, when I first became a Christian, I felt it more. I, I wouldn't say it was on a daily basis, but I, haven't, I don't feel it as much now. And it, it, I would go many, many days without kind of that prompting. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm similar. I don't always every day get a real sense that God's directing me somewhere. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And I suppose the question is, if you don't have that nudging and that prompting, what, what do you do? How do you know how to live? Well, that's part of the reason we do what we do here and look at the Bible, because the Bible's full of what to do as a follower of Jesus. It gives brilliant examples. And having said we should live by the Spirit, chapter 6, which Bissy's about to read for us, is full of kind of application bullet points of what living by the Spirit might actually look like. So if you're someone who wants to live by the Spirit, if you're someone who follows Jesus, these are the sort of things that you're going to be putting into action on a daily and weekly basis. Now, it's not an exhaustive list by any means, uh, but if you are a follower of Jesus, these are the things that you're going to get involved in. Uh, Now, I must get an apology in. Always get an apology in, but get it in early, don't you? Uh, When I spoke on chapter one, uh, chapter one was huge, so I focused on the start and I left most of the end, just ran out of time. Similar apology coming right now. Chapter six is massive, um, and I'm only going to focus on a few bits of it. I'm going to leave lots of it for house group, but we're going to focus on one verse at the end because I think it's so, so important. Uh, Bissy's also going to read the last verse of chapter five. If you're going to follow it, I'm going to put it on the screen, but if you're following it in a Bible or on a phone or something like that, um, because most commentators think that that last verse of chapter five should actually be in with the rest of chapter six. Three things I want you to look out for as Bissy looks for it. I want you to look out for these practical examples. They're littered at the start. There's so many of them um, about what a follower of Jesus might be getting up to on a daily basis. I also want you to look out for uh, one of, I think, the funniest and most bizarre verses in the entire Bible. It's in our passage today. That's my, my opinion. And I also want you to look out for something towards the end that is really rather surprising. There's a word in there which may surprise you. Bissy. My name's Bissy, so I'm a second year uh, PhD student at the university, and I'm going to be reading Galatians chapter 5, uh, the last verse, and then Galatians 6, 1 to 18. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. 
Do not, be, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what life letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to, to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Thank you so much, Bishy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, they're your words. Please help us in the short time we have together, and also in home groups later as we study this, to understand this, but also to live it, Father. Please help us to take these words and bring them into the hearts and minds of ourselves, but also the people next, do we pray. Amen. Uh, Let's cut straight to it, shall we? Uh, What do I think is bizarre and funny? Well, for me, the verse comes out of absolutely nowhere. Lovely verses, aren't they, at the start of this chapter? Don't give up doing good. Don't be deceived. Restore people. Love people deeply. Then verse 11, here he goes. See what large letters I use to you with my own hand. It's, it's just a bit bizarre to me, that, isn't it? What's that? Hey, Galatians, check out my massive handwriting. I don't, I don't quite know where that fits in the whole scheme of things. He's writing beautifully, and then we just get this really random verse. Well, here's what I think is happening at this point. Paul's custom, which was typical in the ancient world, was to dictate his letters. So he would have a PA or an admin assistant that would jot down as he dictated the letters. But often, he would write a short portion at the end to authenticate it, but also to add a personal touch. That's one thing that's going on here with that verse. But it's also, it still seems strange to write, check out how big my letters are. Well... I think he's writing this because he he wants to emphasize how important this final section is. I've heard someone once say that when you teach through the Galatians, I heard this just a week ago, when you teach through Galatians, uh, this end section should actually be preached in the first talk, because this is the part that Paul writes with his own hand. It's also the part where he he gets his main central message out again and hits it hard. Um, But I heard that piece of advice after I preached the first talk in this series, so uh, I've mucked that up. Um, But um, we're going to just have a look at one verse in that end section in a few moments' time. As I say, we're not going to do much on the start, but there's loads in here. I wonder if you just put that text on in bigger sex, Sam, that would be great. Uh, Loads of what spirit-led freedom living looks like. So there was this call at the start, wasn't there? Uh, Don't provoke or irritate one another. Don't be envious or jealous. Um, If someone is struggling with something, if they're caught in a sin, 
you love them deeply and, and call them out and correct them. Uh, we're called to bear each other's burdens. Uh, we're also called to not think too highly of ourselves, but also take responsibilities for our own decisions and our own actions. Uh, we're also called to share what we have with one another. There's brilliant examples here. If I went on as well, verse 10 talks about doing good to everybody, especially fellow church members. Now, I'm not going to deep dive into those verses now. Uh, why? Because I think they're brilliant for home groups. So when you get to Galatians 6 in your home group, it's a brilliant to go to start putting some people onto these things. Who can I get alongside? Who can I help? Who can I support? Uh, if you're not in a home group, you're welcome to be in one. Honestly, if you're not in one this morning, you'd honestly sign up. We'll get you in one. They're brilliant places um, to, to learn more about Jesus and just to connect with other people uh, as well. Uh, but I, having said that, I am going to do one thing about these first verses because some of you may not have been happy with something. Some of you may have thought Paul's contradicted himself because Paul said, it says it up here, he said in verse two, he said, carry each other's burdens. He then said just a few verses later, he said, each one should carry their own load. Make your mind up, Paul. Which one is it? Am I carrying my load? Do I give it to someone else? Um, am I uh, taking someone else's? What does this look like? Ethan, come and help me. Um, there is no contradiction here. Ethan's just going to help me uh, explain why there's no co- uh, contradiction. Verse 2. Verse 2. The, can you see that there, Sam? There we go. A ba- the Greek word for burden is barosh in verse 2. Uh, and in verse 5, uh, the Greek word, come here, Ethan, turn around so they can see you. There we go. The Greek word is fortune, which is like a soldier's pack. So there's no contradiction here. Now, you're called to carry something like a soldier's pack, which everyone can carry, because that's a load that is manageable. But we're also called to bear others' burdens. Now, just for a second... There you go. Thank you. All that just for a second. There's a thing about burden bearing, isn't there? Now, Ethan's there. He won't be there for long. Don't worry. Um, he's at my school. It's all right. Um, and it, uh, I, I could cheer Ethan on here with his burden. Come on, Ethan. You're doing a great job. But that's not burden bearing. I cannot burden bear from a distance. Um, Tim Keller once said this in his commentary on the Galatians. He said that... You cannot help with a burden unless you come very close to the burdened person, standing virtually in their shoes and putting your own strength under the burden so its weight is distributed on both of you, lightening the load of the other. So in the same way, a Christian must listen and understand and physically, emotionally and spiritually Take up some of the burden with the other person. You cannot bear burdens at a distance. We have to be close enough to one another to actually take some weight. Is this a bit better? It's a bit better now, isn't it? Yeah. We can't do it far away. We have to be close enough to one another. We have to develop relationships and be part of a real community. Thank you so much. I'll have that one off you as well. But as well as bearing other burdens, we all have one of these. Every single one of us has a backpack. The brilliant news is that every single person in this room has gifts and abilities. Honestly, you do, every single one of you. The Bible is really clear that one day we're all going to die and we're going to stand before God. 
And we're going to have to give an account for the, the things that we've done with the gifts that we've got and the abilities we have. And here's the thing. On that day, we can't bag swap. I can't give you mine and, it, and you can't, I can't take yours. We're all called to, make, uh, to carry our own load. If you see verse 4 as well, it says, doesn't it? Test your own actions. As a church, we work together. We bear with one another. But as well as that, we're also, there's this personal responsibility element as well. I can't blame you guys for my bad decisions, for my lack of, um, my, my, just my lack of my hands-on walk with Jesus. There's this personal responsibility and there's this corporate responsibility together as well. So I've, I've got a question just on these opening verses because I, I think there'll be four types of people in this room right now and online. My guess is that there's, there's one type of person who is, how are you doing? I'm all right. I've got it. I've got, do you need any help? No, I don't need any help. I'm all right. Stop it. Lovingly stop it. There are, we, this, maybe it's just a, like a cult English thing or a British thing. We're here to support one another. There'll be people in this room who are in real pain. Real pain, financial pain, emotional pain. We're here to support you. We have a COVID fund, which we've got a lot of money to we'll support and help. If you're struggling, we're here. We're absolutely family and we're here to support you. There'll be other people in this room who are bags on. They're doing their little bit and they're quite happily bags on and, and going around, but not really thinking about those people who've got those burdens. There'll be other people probably who are just trying to get rid of their bag. Quick, Sarah, you have this, yeah? And they're not carrying their load. But there'll also be, and I know this is, there's definitely these in this room, there are people who are carrying their load and they are coming alongside and bearing some weight. What would happen if every single person in this room, online, whoever watches this in the future, does this? It'd be beautiful, wouldn't it? What a picture of church that would be. Wouldn't it be fantastic? Those first 11 verses in this chapter uh, would be incredible, wouldn't they? If the church did these things, wouldn't it be a beautiful picture of freedom, of of taking responsibility, of mutual um, accountability, of working with one another. It would be fantastic. It would be a picture of Galatians 5 at the end. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But you see, the thing is this. The church, and I mean globally, doesn't always look like that, does it? It doesn't always look like this beautiful picture of loving one another, serving one another, and working together. Now, the question is why? Why does the church not look like that? And that is about a 25-week sermon, so I'm not going to preach that. What I can do, though, is just offer a personal perspective about why, from my end, it might not look like that. I just want to share with you uh, the biggest challenge that I face, I think, in my own Christian life. Something I struggle with, and I don't think I'm on my own with this. I struggle with verse 9 in Galatians 6. It says this, let us not become weary in doing good. Now, don't get me wrong, I completely subscribe to that verse. Absolutely. I'm in, I'm fully in with that verse. But confession time, I get weary. I get tired and I get fed up. And the biggest challenge it's keeping going. It's keeping following Jesus. I, I do find it difficult. I've got to be honest with you. 
Now, I might be the only person in this building online who gets that urge, but I'm guessing I'm not. If I am the only one, just tell me later. But I think there's others who experience this. And I wonder if it might be as well, you're someone who's put into practice the first few verses of Galatians 6, and you've just been burnt in the process. You might have been someone who put verse 1 into practice, and you've challenged someone over a sin that they're caught up in with. And lovingly, you've got alongside them and gone, for the very best for you, I don't think you should be doing this. And then they've just gone crazy at you. They've been judgmental. They've shouted at you. They've slagged you off to everyone they could see. And that hurts. What about verse 2? You've got alongside someone and you've done some of this business. They don't care. They're not ungrateful. They're rude. They just continually sort of hit you down. Or or what about uh, verse 5? You're you're there wandering around and you're carrying your stuff and you're carrying your load. And then what you see is you just see like bags laden on the floor because people are just dumping, leaving more for you to carry. It's tiring, isn't it? And and, and I feel like that at times, if I'm honest with you. I just find it really, really difficult. Following Jesus is the best thing that any human being could do. It is freeing. But at times, sometimes it it can feel the opposite, can't it? It feels draining and tiring. Here's the great news. I'll stop negativity now. Paul knows it. The Apostle Paul knows what it's like to get weary. And he finishes his letter with something that is quite surprising. But he seems to know... Uh, what it's like, but he also seems to know how to keep going. So he tells people. Uh, So he grabs the pen, doesn't he? Verse 11, gets his massive letters out. And he says this, he says, the secret of keeping going is, this may surprise you, he says, the secret of keeping going is boasting. Yeah, you heard me right. I said the word boasting. Verse 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, if you're like me at first glance, what? Boasting is a negative thing. If I was to do a straw poll, who thinks boasting and boasters are good? I'm thinking we'd universally not like that concept. But the Bible seems to say boasting is okay in certain circumstances. Here's other parts of the Bible. Uh, Philippians 3, 3, we who boast in Christ Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians one thirty one. let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, which is a direct reference back to in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 9, which says, uh, let the, not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord. Paul seems to say that it's okay to boast in certain circumstances. Galatians 6 says boasting in the cross is okay. But we've still got that kind of boasting feels wrong. What's going on there? Well, it might help to know what a boast was actually originally about. Because a boast was actually originally part of warfare. Um, If you were preparing to go into battle... And if you wanted your troops to charge, if you wanted them to get out of the bunker and go for it, you'd start with a boast. You'd be a king or a general or a captain, and they'd turn around and go, we're really strong. We've got Bert, and he's massive, and we've got this archer, he's got like really sharp swords, and uh, there's more of us than them. Go! And if your boast was good enough, your people were better than that anyway, they would charge over the top to certain death, and they would go for it. And there's boasts in the Bible. 
You'll see them, uh, Exodus 15, 1 Kings 20, and 1 Samuel 2. A boast was how you got yourself ready to charge. It built the confidence. It helped warriors to know where their strength comes from. And at a very fundamental level, it was about identity. It was about who these people were. It points to where their strength comes from. It's who they look to. It's where you get your confidence from. Where do you, what helps you get out of bed in the morning? Now, we, I don't think, go to war each day. But we do need something to get us out of bed as followers of Jesus. Something to help us keep going. Everybody actually needs something to boast in. And it, it happens all over the place, doesn't it? Just, just take social media, for an example. Wow. Wow. People boast, I think, in what they look like. They boast in their number of followers. They take pictures of their food. They boast in their superior political views. They boast in their achievements. Elsewhere, out of social media, people boast in family. They boast in job titles. They boast in social status. They boast in achievements. Now, none of those things on their own are wrong. But they're not great things to boast in, are they? Because they're insecure. None of those things are rock solid. All of those things at some point could go wrong. Wouldn't it be great if there was someone or something who we could be completely and utterly dependent on? Wouldn't it be great if there was someone who'd been there and done it and had the scars to prove it? Well, Paul says, there is someone that you can have complete confidence in. There is someone who is a source of strength for you. uh, There is someone who will help you keep going. And Paul says, I only want to boast in the cross of Jesus because Jesus' death is the thing that keeps me going. Jesus' cross gives me the constant confidence to keep on. Jesus' blood that was shed for me, that keeps me going on a Monday morning, a Tuesday morning, and so on. And what gives Paul the energy to just get up off the floor and keep going? What gives anyone who follows Jesus the courage to keep going when it's tough? It's this. Always has been. And it always, always will be. Before the pandemic, it was all about the cross. During the pandemic, it's all about the cross. And guess what? After it, it's going to be all about it too. This is what it's all about. Thank you, Sam. Don't dare cut back to me now. Leave it on that for a while, please. Paul was determined to boast in the cross because he recognized how significant it was. It's the only way that lost and guilty people find acceptance with God. It's the only way that people find hope beyond death. It's the only way, uh, it's the only place that reveals just how much you're loved. God loves you that much. And God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He would go that far for you. So Paul looks to this and goes, I'm not interested in personal glory. I'm interested in Jesus' glory. And when I'm feeling weary, I'm going to get off the canvas because Jesus got off the canvas for me. And and if you don't know about Jesus' death, it was brutal, brutal. Someone once said this, no manner of execution that has ever been devised was more cruel or agonizing than to be nailed to a cross. It was horrible. You would not have been able to watch it, not without screaming and pulling at your hair and tearing your clothes. Now, at the time, the cross was the supreme penalty imposed by Roman law. It was used to execute criminals, uh, slaves, revolutionaries. You, You wouldn't execute a Roman citizen like this. No way. 
But the, uh, to the Jews at the time, we saw this earlier in Galatians, crucifixion is a sign of God's curse. But that is what God did for you and me. Jesus was jeered so that we could get applause. Jesus died so we could get life. Jesus was flogged so we could be free. He went to the cross. He took our sin. He bore our pain. He, died our, he paid our debt. He died our death. And you know what? That's why we boast in the cross. So you know what? When we start to defend ourselves, when we start to see that horrible image of the sheep, when we start to bite at each other to judge people, it's because we've taken our eyes off that. We have to keep our gaze and our focus on that. Please, can I encourage you one thing? Don't, if you're following Jesus, don't take your eyes off it. Don't. There's an enemy who wants you not to look at that. And that's where it all is, all of the time. I need to finish. I've spoken for too long. Can I just leave you with one story from a chap called Dick Lucas about this man, Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a great preacher uh, for many years. And uh, Dick Lucas tells this story that Billy came to Cambridge to do the Cambridge University mission in 1955. And he was preaching every night at uh, Great St. Mary's in Cambridge. And he received a lot of criticism in the press beforehand, in the British press. Who, who, does, who do we think we are having this American fundamentalist preacher come into our shores to speak to our brightest and our best? And apparently, according to, his bio, uh, to Dick Lucas, this actually quite rattled Billy Graham. So much so that he, he went and did his research and he, he read upon all the philosophers on Nitschke, Sartre and others. And he adapted his talks for the first few nights. Um, uh, and he spoke to these students. He threw in all the quotes from them to try and look, uh, look well read. Uh, but according to his biography, um, the first few nights of that mission didn't go very well. And so on the last night, he decided he was just going to preach about the blood of Jesus. He ripped up his notes and went, I'm just going to go and preach about Jesus. He forgot all this other stuff and essentially just boasted in the cross. Uh, Dick Lucas went on to say he was there, said this. I'll never forget that night. I was sitting on the floor with the Regis Professor of Divinity on one side, the chaplain of a college and a future bishop on the other. Both of these were good men in many ways. But both of them were against the idea that they were in need of salvation, that's rescue, in need of rescue by Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And that night, dear Billy got up and started at Genesis and talked about every single blood sacrifice you could imagine through the Bible up to Jesus. The blood was flowing all through Great St. Mary's, everywhere for three quarters of an hour. My neighbours were terribly embarrassed by this. To them, crude proclamation of the blood of Christ. It was everything they disliked and dreaded. But at the end of the sermon, to everyone's shock, about 400 young men and women stayed to commit their lives to Jesus. The university at that time was about 10,000 strong. 400 people from the university became followers of Jesus that evening. Why did that happen? Happened because it focused on this. We have difficult days ahead, I'm sure, individually and collectively. But you know what? If we just keep looking at that, if we just keep focusing on that, we'll be all right. Actually, we'll be more than all right because mountains will move in Exeter. This whole place will change. Let's pray. Just as we have a moment of quiet, we're finishing Galatians now and we're moving on to Advent. I'm just going to put on screen right now from the message, uh, verses 14 and 15 of this passage, that I think just 
Landers. Here we go. For my part, I'm going to boast about nothing but the cross of our master, Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, I've been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. Can't you see the central issue in all this? It's not what you and I do, submit to circumcision, reject it. It's what God is doing. And he is creating something totally new. A free life. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this letter that we have looked at over the past seven weeks. Father, we pray that we don't make the same mistakes. Father, help us to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died, that he rose again, that he's going to return. Thank you that he changes everything. Father, help us to keep our eyes on that cross so that we stay together, so that more and more people know about Jesus. Help us to put those first few verses into practice as we go out of this place later. And help us to boast only in the cross of the wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.